This morning we're going to dismiss our kids now to Children's Church, but uh, we want to look at, again, the book of Colossians this morning. Um, So if you would turn your Bibles to the book of Colossians. If you don't have a Bible, we have a Bible that um, you can have. Uh, Just raise your hand and uh, we'll get that Bible to you. Um, We're continuing our theme that Christ completes us. In Christ we are complete. And uh, I borrowed my sermon title this morning from uh, a John MacArthur sermon that is not the same uh, text exactly, but he titled, he he made up this title, I didn't. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And uh, it suits our text because... We are continuing that theme that in Him we are complete, we are full. And we are addressing this morning, as we look at chapter 2, verse 16, um, the error that had crept into the church in Colossae. And it it wasn't a really defined error. We don't know much about it except what Paul states here. He stated last week the warning against philosophy in which there is empty deceit. And we talked about how he used some words there to define it, that what that philosophy was, it was elemental, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Um, Talking about creation. And so we... Um, you know, and and the astrology, uh, astrological symbols, depending on the creation to determine your life and how that is emptiness. It leads to emptiness and deceit. It's deceitful. Um, Those kinds of worldviews that remove Christ or seek to add to Christ. In Christ, we are complete. And Paul made that emphasis. He said, for in him the fullness, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And then he went on to say, um, to describe how it is that what Jesus had done. We who were dead, who were living unholy lives, we who were separated from God because of our sin, and all that we can accomplish in goodness will never remove that we are sinners. We are sinners and bear the condemnation of that sin. We bear the penalty, the judgment of that sin. But, Christ makes us saints through the circumcision without human hands. We talked about that. We think of the act of that and and it kind of distracts us from what he's saying. He's saying, Christ alone can make you holy. And in Him, you were buried. You You were baptized into the into his death. You were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. He gives you life when you were dead. You were baptized with him. You were one with him. He raised him from the dead. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, in your unholiness, in your sin. But God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He canceled that record of debt and its legal demands by nailing our sin to the cross. Jesus came as God. Truly God and truly man. And he lived in total obedience to God. A life of obedience. Perfect 
obedience to God. He went to the cross and He took upon Himself our sins. Our sins were nailed to the cross, canceling that record of debt and its legal demands. And it's the only way it's only the only way that that record of debt can be canceled, that its legal demands can be removed. Perfection is required because if there's one sin, one sin committed, we are sinners and bear that condemnation. God had to come as a man, live a perfect life that we might be saved. Isn't that an amazing expression of God's love? And we have experienced it. You see why Paul can say you are complete in Him. You are complete. You are made holy. You have become saints. So walk in Him, he says in the beginning of our text last week. You who have received Him, walk in Him. We come now to our text in verse 16. I'll just read this and then we'll uh, bow in a word of prayer and continue on with this thought that has been presented with us of of, um, looking out for anything that might add to Christ and being aware and conscious of it. So let's, let's read this text together with, if you will follow along with me. Verse 16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. I had the tremendous privilege with Laura to um, take Kathleen to a conference down in Seattle the last couple days, a Ligonier conference, and we heard a lot about the gospel, and it was refreshing. It was an awesome opportunity to sit for hours here preaching and uh, teaching from the Word of God. And what we uh, were faced with, uh, Ravi Zacharias was there, and he, he gave his first message was a real downer <laughs> because he was giving us what the world philosophy is in our time today. Just as we just looked at, at the Paul's warning to us of the, the world views that are, are empty and deceitful and that warning that Paul gives right here in our text. And um, it, was, it was concerning. It was uh, troublesome to hear and to recognize and, and realize that how we as a society and a culture have been pushing God out 
trying to ignore Him. Eliminate Him from our thoughts. Eliminate Him from our practice. Uh, determining truth is up to you. It's whatever you think. So there could be 200 different truths all in this room. None of them have to agree, but keep it to yourself. You know, That's how we live in this world. It's sad. It's, de- it's troubling. It's disturbing. But how wonderful to be to recognize we have the truth in God's Word. It's absolute. It's enduring. It will last forever. And not only do we have the truth, we can know Him who is the truth. Jesus. He's all we need. He gives us, He promises us everything we need for life and godliness as we learn about Him, as we study Him, as we come to the knowledge of Him. And yet, uh, let me just read this text, John chapter 1. Remember, John starts his gospel with telling us that God and even Christ, Jesus, the Son of God, has existed forever. He's eternal. And He's a personal God. He's a personal God. Verse 10, He was in the world. The world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. This is God's doing to be, for you to be born again. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but He has made Him known. Our personal God has revealed to us who He is, And He became flesh. He lived amongst humans, mankind. He revealed Himself to us. And we have received grace upon grace. A gift of God. A gift of God. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift from God. But Paul warns in this text that we can become spiritually intimidated. We can think that in our walk with God that um, we might need something more. You know, and and, and sometimes this is purposeful. You know, um, others uh, become come to us and tell us that they have that we should be thinking of this better plan this uh this more spiritual way to live um we can add we need to we need if we really want to experience Christ we need to do these other things we need to add these other things we can we can experience this uh if we are 
make a decision in our life and choices in our life, and we're seeking affirmation from others, can't we? We can come and tell our, our friends, and this is what we're going to do. I think you should do it too. <laughs> and, and it can become a spiritual intimidation. But I want to remind you this morning that we have freedom in Christ. And our limit to our freedom is love. Our limit to our freedom is love. So we can make decisions, we can make choices, and and that's fine. But we must guard our brothers and sisters so that they don't stumble, so that they don't become intimidated, so that they don't think they have to do, add something to their faith to truly experience Christ's fullness. Because as we have heard, as we've been taught through the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit, we are full, we are complete in Christ. So he starts off this section talking about legalism. We don't see that word in our text. But he starts off with this, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. He's talking about legalism. Legalism is the religion of human achievement. It argues that spirituality is based on Christ plus human works. It makes conformity to man-made rules the measure of spirituality. And that's so easy to happen, isn't it? Um, I grew up in a Christian college, an organization where rules were necessary. But so easy to, when you grow up under rules, that you begin to think those define your holiness. You know, if I keep this rule, like, oh man, I'm, I'm not wearing a tie. If I were there, I'd have to be wearing a tie. And that would me- make a measure of my, be a measure of my holiness because everyone would be looking at that and that would be very important, you see. Now, I- for a school, they saw the necess- necessity to have some rules. And they were teaching discipline. They were trying to build into people's lives um, a discipline. You don't always get to do what you want to do. You sometimes need to do things to, in respect and honor of others. That love principle. But growing up in that is very easy to begin to define your walk with Christ to these rules, do's. And, and that's what we see in this text. <laughs> Don't we? The do's that you must eat this food that, or drink or you must ha- participate in this festival or new moon or you must keep the Sabbath. These things, these do's. And uh, we must be very careful. We must be discerning we must take um, inventory of our own hearts and to check, is that what I'm doing? Is that why I do this? Am I doing this to add to Christ? Or am I doing this out of love? Because in Christ, I'm complete. Legalism, you see, is very tricky because it's works. It's doing things. And we do thi- when we do things, that makes us feel good. It makes us feel some achievement. And we can pass that on to others really easily, can't we? <laughs> and that's what we are, want to warn against. It's what we want to guard against. Because legalism, doing things, totally contradicts 
the need for Jesus, God, to come in human flesh and die on the cross on our behalf, right? If we could do it, Jesus didn't need to come. And so, when we do things to get closer to Christ, to become more, for the purpose of becoming more holy, we, it's really a sin of unbelief. It's saying, Jesus, what you did was great. I appreciate it, but it's not enough. And that's dangerous. It's, it's false. It's a lie. Because, you see, even with the, re, the laws that were given to the Jewish people, and that's what we most likely see here, though Paul did write to the Galatian church who were being harassed by the Judaizers, who were saying, you must be circumcised. You must obey the Sabbath. You must obey the feast days. He wrote a whole book in the book of Galatians addressing that. He doesn't hear. He just a few verses. But he's saying these are but a shadow. These are a shadow. You see, God gave them to the Jewish people so they could recognize Christ when He came. They were all pointing to Jesus. And when Jesus came, and when He died on the cross, the Mosaic Law, the Mosaic Covenant ended. Excuse me, let me get that right. The Mosaic Covenant ended. The law didn't end. But the covenant did. The requirement did. End. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled it. He's the only one who could. We can't. And that is God's purpose now in the law for us. It points to us that we fall short. We can't do it. We cannot keep the law. One person did. And he was God. And he died on the cross for us. He gave his love for us so that we might be forgiven. So our trespasses might be, that record of debt might be taken away that, and those legal ramifications by canceling that debt. So be careful. Be discerning when it comes to things that you do and things that you think that others ought to do. In their walk with Christ. Now, can you do things? Can you do things? Can you homeschool? Yeah, you can homeschool. You have, you have freedom in Christ. But don't expect everyone to homeschool and that's closer, that's, uh, will, will bring them closer to Christ. Because it won't. It will deny Christ in that con if, for that purpose. If you think it will bring you closer to Christ by doing that, by doing anything, it denies Him. You are complete in Christ. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Another trap we can get into as Christians, as people who serve the Lord, sometimes we can get into the trap of thinking, oh, I sacrificed so much. I told Kathy this morning, I was so busy this week. <laughs> but then we can go, oh, no, God, no. Pour on the blessings, please. I deserve them, don't I? I worked so hard for you. I've sacrificed. And that's the same thing, isn't it? It's legalism. Because now we've turned it to I've done this, so God, you do this. <laughs> that's easy for us all to do, isn't it? It's a trap. Be careful. 
Because all we have is what? By grace. And he gives us grace upon grace. It's his free gift. Does he give us what we need? Absolutely. Because we have him. We have received him. But it isn't earned. And don't let your heart go there. Forbid it. Say, stop, heart, stop. What I have is by God's grace. Not because of what I do. God saved us, Jesus saved us from God, from His wrath. We are saved from God, by God, for God. His grace. We live by grace. Remember, His good is for us. And what is His good? He defines it. It is to make us into His image. To conform us. To be Christ-like. What was Christ-like? We covered a little bit of it last week. He was obedient. Isn't that amazing? So what we could not accomplish, what we could not attain to, have, to, be, to be saved, Christ has attained for us and He wants to make us obedient, righteous, saints. That is His good and that's what He's about in us. Jesus is the reality. All these other things, all these laws, all the, the, the Mosaic laws were shadows. Jesus coming around the corner. You could see his shadow. But he stepped into the light. And now we see him. His glory has been revealed. Jesus has been manifest. He has been made known to us. Isn't that amazing that God would do that? That God would reveal Himself in the person of Jesus to us? We who are enemies of Him. We who mocked Him. We who rebelled against Him. We would live any way we wanted. Jesus is the reality. I have so many great verses I'd like to share with you, but then it would be like a, we'd be turning pages all over the place. Um, just one, I want you to remember what God said way back in the Old Testament. Remember Saul? disobeyed God, disobeyed Samuel, the prophet. And he kept what he shouldn't have kept in his conquest. And he even offered up an excuse when Samuel confronted him. Oh, the, all these cattle, all these bulls, they're gifts to God. We'll sacrifice them to God. And Samuel confronted him and very seriously reminded him that to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen, to listen than the fat of rams. To obey is better than sacrifice. Jesus is the reality. He obeyed. He obeyed perfectly. And He wants to transform us. As we have received Him, He gives us new life. He makes us saints. He calls us to be holy. He enables us to obey Him, to love the truth, to love His law. He enables us to do it, not to add to what we already have in Him, but to demonstrate His reality, to to demonstrate our love for Him. 
Jesus said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. How does our righteousness exceed those, those people who spent their whole life studying the, the law? First off, by nothing we can do but in receiving Jesus Christ and His righteousness. That is the way you are made righteous. By receiving Him. And then He plants within you a new heart. A heart that loves His law. That wants to follow Him and obey Him and live for Him. For it's His glory for which we exist. Jesus is the reality. The next thing that Paul addresses here is mysticism. He says, let no one qualify you. Let me just step back. Uh, um, the scripture uses the word substance. Jesus is the substance. I looked into the what the word was and it, 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 uh, so I, I substituted it here in my notes, the reality. But you could write in substance if you want. Now, mysticism. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and, do n and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Mysticism may be defined as the pursuit of deeper or higher subjective religious experience. Your experience, what you experience. And, and, and he addresses two things here. The worship of angels and visions. Worship of angels and visions. Mystics mysticism, uh, a looking for a deeper or higher subjective personal religious experience. Paul is warning here. We are reminding us we are complete in Christ. God has revealed to us the truth in His Word. And the canon is closed. He doesn't continue to give his word in visions. Or even, we are told, in the voices of angels. In fact, Paul warns us, he, says, he, he warns us very seriously about, um, in Galatians chapter 1, about listening to an angel who might tell us any other gospel. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He's warning to us, warning us that we have been given the gospel. We have received it. We have received it. Now, we may experience some personal experiences, but don't add that to your salvation. Don't think that will draw you closer to Christ. Don't encourage others that they need to do this additional thing, this, have this additional experience to be saved. 
he's warning against that because he, he says we are forbidden to worship angels. We, have, we don't have any other gospel than the one we've been given. God has manifested Himself. He has revealed Himself through His Word and in the person of Jesus Christ. And we are complete in Him. We are saved by Him and by Him alone. If, if we add anything to it, if we add anything to what He has done, we're trampling on Him. Why? Because Jesus is the head. And when we add, we tend to be puffed up. We tend to trust our own feelings. We tend to elevate what we feel, our personal experience, rather than elevating the Word of God. And that's what we are called to do. That's the only certain truth we have in this shifting crazy world we have this truth the truth of god revealed jesus is the head so then in ephesians chapter 2 paul says so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. You see, the truth that we have from the apostles and the prophets here in the Word of God is what is based our citizenship, our that we are saints, that we are members of the household of God. Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. Jesus is the head. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Your body is where God dwells. His Holy Spirit has come. He sealed you. And He dwells within you. One of the really encouraging things, I was really moved at the conference. Um, someone asked, uh, in this day and age, when it's so troublesome, how, you know, when we're trying, it's such an effort to proclaim the truth in a society, in a culture where God is denied and eliminated. How do we do that? How do we, how do we keep from getting down? How do we keep from getting discouraged? And the first answer Robert Godfrey gave, he said, God's given us the church. God's given us the church. This is God ordained institution where we get to, we have the privilege of getting together on a weekly basis, celebrating the Lord's Day. Not the Sabbath anymore. Isn't that interesting? The Sabbath even was a foreshadow of Christ dying for us so that we might rest in His finished work. We come and celebrate on the day He rose again from the dead. His victory over death, over Satan. Satan, he's rubbish. He's just waiting to be taken out. And God's coming. Christ is coming again and we'll put Him in the place that was created for Him, hell. But we get to meet together and encourage one another in the truth 
in the Word of God. We can be bolstered for the encounters we have in the days ahead wherein Christ is denied. And we have to come up with a response that will honor and bring glory to God. I hope that is what you encounter here is that that encouragement, that bolstering. God has given us the church. God has given us one another. The fellowship we have. And I mistakenly, you know, suggested that you might not like me because I'm a plumber. But it really, really, you might not like me because I'm a cynic. Because I have loved it. You know, without Christ, I've done horrible things. And But Christ, He has forgiven me. He has given me a new heart. But that doesn't mean I always do everything right. I sin and sometimes I sin badly. And then again, we need one another. Because sometimes I have blinders on, you know? I'm going like this and I only see what I want to see. God has given us relationships to help point out those blind areas, those blind blind spots, so that we might repent. So we might turn from that life, those decisions, those choices. We might love better that we might follow God in a in a more demonstrative way to bring him glory the other thing that Paul warns against is asceticism he mentioned it already but in verse 20 he says if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world why is it if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. An aesthetic is one who lives a life of rigorous self-denial. Self-abasing. The word here could also be translated and is translated elsewhere as humility. It's a purposeful humbling of ourselves, denying ourselves of certain things. So we see in this text there's a lot of do-nots. You know, um, do not eat that kind of food. Do not eat, do not do those things. Do not taste, do not handle, do not touch. Again, we have freedom in Christ. But if we do these kinds of things thinking that that will give us a closer walk with Jesus, that we will somehow gain His favor, that somehow we will be saved, Somehow we will um, encounter Christ more fully. We are wrong. Because we have Him, His completeness. So, again, this, we can encounter these same things, can't we, in our day? We can encounter things like legalism. We can encounter things like mysticism. You know, what's one of the most popular books that come out are What Happened to Me After I Died. You know? <laughs> uh, and and th- those, those kinds of... That, that's, that's, I put in that category of mysticism. But then we can c- come to asceticism where we say, you know, I... And forgive me if I'm going to trample on toes here. It's not my intention. Again, I want you to know you have freedom in Christ. 
But um, I know my wife wants me to live healthfully, and I d obviously don't have the appearance of being uh, following her uh, to the best of her ability. Um, but uh, sometimes we can think, you know, if I just ate more healthfully, right? If I did all these th other things, that would make me more spiritual. And this is the warning against that. So, again, eat healthy. Eat healthy. That's good. That's a good thing. But don't do it for a spiritual reason. Don't do it for a spiritual reason. Um, it's so easy to become a spiritual thing, especially in our age and day, right? When we're, we're thinking, uh, our thinking is the elevation of human life experience. That's all that matters. Your experience. I want you to, if, if there's any kids here, I want you to cover them up, their ears now because I'm going to say a five-letter word. Death. We're all going to die. We are. But we're surprised about that in our culture, aren't we? We don't think about it. We don't prepare for it. But we are going to die. And what's even going to surprise you more is my next slide. So get ready. Um, but Isaiah 40 says, A voice says cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades when the breath of God of the Lord blows on it. Surely people are grass. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Forever. So, is it okay to take care of yourself? Absolutely. But don't neglect the most important. What will last forever? We're going to all die. But the Word of God will never pass away. I also want you to be encouraged from Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil or spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, death, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. That's what their life is spent for. Spent for. They waste their whole life seeking about, thinking about what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, how big a house they have to build. And your heavenly Father knows what you that you need them all. Isn't that contrasting statement? The Gentiles, that's what they waste their whole life on. That's what they spend their whole life on. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Here's that last slide, surprisingly. 
Why should we not follow after asceticism, giving up things, thinking that we might gain some spiritual kudos? Because you have died in Christ. That Gentile life, where that you were consumed with all those things, you have died to. God has given you, through Jesus, through your faith in Him, a new life. And a life more abundant. Where you can know things of eternal matter. Things that will never pass away. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this Word, Your Word, that will not pass away. We thank You that we can know things of eternal matter. Like even our neighbor. Our co-worker. When they die, it's not over. They have an eternity that they are not realizing. And we know the answer for them. We can give them hope. We can give them the good news. Now, we can't change their heart. Only you can do that. But Lord, I pray that you might give us a courage the opportunity to give windows, opportunities to share Your Word, to share the truth of Your great salvation. Lord, help us to live in that context. Thank You for Your freedom that we have in You. Help us to live in freedom, but in the constraint of love to our brothers and sisters. In Your name.